Welcome to Podcast Therapist, presented by Virginia Family Therapy. I'm Sarah. I'm Caroline. And I'm Amanda. As three family therapists, we know how hard it is to feel like you're being the parent you want to be while juggling everyone's needs. We specialize in helping families just like you during the long days of multitasking and constant searching for the bar of success. Our podcast mixes expertise, real life advice, and embarrassing stories. Whose embarrassing story? Let's walk through this together. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Podcast Therapist. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Amanda. Hi. Hi, Today, we are interviewing Mike Atun Rache, and he is the owner, head coach, trainer, everything of resilience, fitness, and sports performance training. And he's a brilliant human. Cannot wait for everybody to hear this interview. But first, I want to do a little check-in on you guys. How are you? I'm actually great. I feel good. Yeah, we just moved into a new office where that Caroline and I were just there together, which is like a delight because we're like back in the office. I ran into someone at the office. (laughs) It was a big moment. It has been a long time since anybody's been able to say that. It was fantastic. The weather is also incredible today and... I feel great. Yeah, it's been good. So we're now at Boar's Head, is like a professional center, but it's also on a resort, which I don't know how we got that. But so It's because doing- no one wants office space right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's own it. Office space, but we're doing therapy. It's fine. We, we need it. We do need it. But we need it only in places where you can get outside. And Boar's Head is perfect because there's like stunning walking trails. There's a pond. You can walk for miles. Like... It is joyful. I feel healthy. I feel happy. Can't wait to decorate it. I got a little bit lost with a client yesterday. Luckily, not a super anxious client, but I thought I was on a loop. And then, <laughs> and then I wasn't. <laughs> or maybe I was, but I wasn't looping back like quickly. Enough. It was great. So I was just like, we're just going to turn around. <laughs> so, so Virginia Family Therapy is offering a new concept, which is walk and talk therapy and ways. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Sometimes when I'm running late, I make clients run exactly. Sorry, we gotta run. I gotta I'm, like, I'm paying for this. Thanks for the increased heart rate. Yeah. So, okay, so now that we're talking about increased heart rate, let's get to our interview with Coach Mike. Hey, y'all. We're so excited to be here today with Michael Achenrache. He is the founder and head coach of Resilience Fitness and Sports Performance Training. Mike, how are you? I am great. How are you, Amanda? Oh my gosh, I'm so happy to be here with you, mostly because I just <laughs> talked to you earlier today about what I'm eating, because he's also <laughs> um, and you also work with Sarah's daughter. Yeah. And now Sarah, too, actually. I took the plunge, didn't I, Mike? Yes, she did. <laughs> I know. I'm really nervous, but I'm excited. We start up next week. Yes. I'm already thinking of reasons why I might not be able to do it, but I'm I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> Well, I'm feeling the peer pressure, so maybe I should just jump in too. A- absolutely, Caroline. I think you'd love it. <laughs> jump in. Why not? Mike, I just met you 10 minutes ago, and it's been really enjoyable. I'm excited. <laughs> Here's the one thing I Thank would say. You. I'm not even trying to tell you this, Mike, but but he makes me feel like an athlete. Like when, like when I go to his workout classes, I leave being like, oh, I'm an athlete again. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that in you and Michael. I really do. Oh, no. You know what? Like. That's something I truly believe that everyone is an athlete in their own right, right? If if you move your body for a particular reason, 
that is athletic, whether it's you're dancing, you're running, you're swimming, whatever, playing tennis on the weekend, you are an athlete. You might not know it, but you are. So, how do you feel about dog feel, walking? Does that count? <laughs> dog walking? You know what? That that can be counted for as a sport. You know, we could like get a couple of you guys to line up, and then like on your mark, get set, go, and see who can like walk their dog like the fastest or maybe in the straightest line. And, you know. <laughs> That's amazing. So I have to say this really quickly. So Mike is so inspirational and so much fun to work with. And my daughter has worked with him for a while. And what happens is then I want to do something like lift weights or something. And then so she starts to help me. And then I feel like I'm working with a mini Mike. Like, <laughs> she quotes him. She will tell me like what he told her. Like it's so I awesome. I love that. It is. It's really cool actually. I have to say. Sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, we just leave me alone. But for the most part. <laughs> Like, I don't need the coats 24 seven, yes, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, Michael, you have touched our lives, obviously, and we would like for you to touch the lives of our listeners, which is super exciting. And so you are here today to talk to us about the three ways to keep your athlete mentally healthy, which is, you know, we're always talking about sports, I think, um, on this podcast in general, because it's important to our lives and a lot of our clients' lives. We work with a lot of high achieving athletes and uh-huh. we actually work with you, Mike, with a lot of high achieving athletes, which yeah. is really cool. So I'm super thankful that you're here to talk about how do you keep high achieving athletes mentally healthy or just athletes healthy? Because actually, did you know, Mike, that a lot of times when people are in intense training sessions, their anxiety and depression increase? Do you know that? No, no. Is that really, is that really true? I mean, at least for swimming, I read it in like Swimmer's World that like during the intense training periods, anxiety and depression can increase, but that's why you have to keep it in shorter bursts is because it's too yes. intense to, to keep up with. They have research on runners about that same thing. Really? Mm-hmm. About the same. Training. And I bet you if they do really deep research on every single sport, they, they will find the same things. It's just something that comes with sports, especially like you mentioned, high achievers who always want to impress. They always want to do good. I'm not surprised by that at all. I mean, think about Michael Phelps and everything he's putting out mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. In, into the world about his own mental health struggles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about one of the best, mm-hmm. too. Right. And that's something that happens, especially with athletes that perform really well. And they're, they're known as, you know, someone who's really good. They feel like they always have to be good. And they feel like that's something that they have to keep up. And you see that, especially in like individualized sports, like tennis, like golf, like swimming, you always want to beat what you've done before in the past. So you're not even competing only against the people around you, but you're competing with yourself as well. That makes so much sense. Do you think it's different with team sports? It's a little bit different with team sports. And you'll see why, especially when we start getting into these reasons of how you can keep your athlete mentally healthy. But it has a little bit of a different feel because the responsibility is not all on your shoulders, right? And when you're in that pool, in that lane, it's not anyone's responsibility to get you from point A to point B but yourself. You know, when you're playing tennis and that person's across the net from you, it's no one else's responsibility to return that serve. So I feel like it's a little more intense in in those sports but still, whether you're in team sports or individual sports, that that mental, you know, stress you put on yourself of I want to do my whether you're, if you're in basketball, I want to do my one fifth. 
I don't want my one fifth to be the one fifth that makes us lose. Or if you're in football, I want to do my one eleventh. I don't want to be the weakest link and I'm the reason why our team loses. You know, you'll see like, how about this? I'll give you a mix, a kicker in football. Huh? You know, you got the snapper, the holder, but it's between you, the ball and that upright. And that's kind of like one of those like individual, like you're, everyone's looking at you. Everyone's depending on you in a team sport. So they go through those mental things too. You'll see a good kicker go through a phase where, all of a sudden, he's missing kicks out of nowhere. And it's like, he's never missed this many kicks before. But you look at the mental aspect of it. I was just thinking when you're talking about the mental aspect, like you'll look at even professional players and think, oh, that player has such skill, but can be in their head too much. They're like, they have, they're streaky is what they call like basketball yeah. players. You're a streaky player. Yep. And that's because yep. they're mentally, they go through periods of time where they're just not consistent. Sarah, that is such a true statement. And anyone who is an Eagles fan like myself <laughs> can, can attest to that with what's just happened the season before. We now have a new head coach and a new, basically a new team, new team yeah. because our quarterback, Carson Wentz, well, I shouldn't say our quarterback, he's now the Colts quarterback, but from just two years ago, being up for the MVP, that's the most valuable player in the whole NFL, he went from that to being the worst-rated quarterback in the NFL. So it's like, how do you do that in a span of like two years? And, and you know, a lot there was a lot of external factors, but a lot of that had to do with his confidence and his mental health. Like, am I that good? Is this my fault? Am I playing hard enough? Can I save my team? Can I not save my team? Have I recovered enough from my injury? It's all these questions that go into it. And you can see that play out. You saw it play out this year. And just because of that, you see a whole team get basically just changed in one year. It's it's amazing. So why don't you tell us? Because I, you know, when you started talking about individual sports, my heart started mm-hmm. beating faster because <laughs> I was like feeling the pressure. Like it is, it's, I'm a competitive <laughs> swimmer, you all, um, even as a 40-year-old. And it is just up to me to get myself from one side of the pool to the other, and I could feel my anxiety rising. So please tell me what is like the number one way for us athletes to stay mentally healthy. Amanda, that I don't rank these in the in, in the sense of like most important, but I do like to rank them just like so. Just just list them and throw them on the list. So at number one, I have keeping a support system. Keeping a support system that knows kind of like the everyday stresses or the everyday vigor of what you're going through. Usually with student athletes, they have like three main things. They have their sport life. They have their personal life. And they have their social life. And usually I see those athletes tend to confide in those who know at least two major elements of their life. So maybe they don't know, maybe someone doesn't know their social life as well, but they could really connect with their sport life and their personal life. So they would combine them. Or maybe it's like someone at home who knows their sport life and their personal, but not their social, right? But at least a support system of, you know, two to three people who really know exactly what you're going through. Because, not only because they can help you out and give you advice and 
only because that gives the person who's going maybe through that anxiety or that pressure, it gives them kind of like that trust. Like, yeah, I can talk to to, to you about these things because you know what I'm going through. Or you actually have been through it yourself. And that support system is so important. I also think it, it keeps the sport interesting, right? The idea of going to swim practice, if I didn't have friends there, like I didn't mm-hmm. even go. So I'm yeah. able to be a better <laughs> swimmer because I'm friends with the people that are there. Yeah. And it makes it more fun and engaging. Well, and I was just... Yeah. I was just thinking like, oh, it's so great to have someone that's connected to two sides because it also keeps like the importance of the sport in check, right? Like I feel like with my high school student athletes that I work with, like the whole, your whole world can become the sport. And so kind of trying to keep that balance of like, this is something that's super important to you and your personal life and your social life have to fit in somewhere. Well, and I think the kids who want to go on and play in college too, you know, that pressure about recruiting and showing up and being Mm. able to play well, and it's all about performance. So to have other people in your world that get that that's important, but also can call you out on your stuff or be, you know, have you come out and have fun and just break up the monotony of practice, you know, those kinds of things are so, so important mental health wise. Yeah, Sarah, and I I totally agree with that. Let me piggyback off of that. That What's kind of disheartening for me is when I see parents who are not involved at all in their kids athletic lives you know Uh um what that does is it kind of there's such like a disconnect right there right when when the kid feels like their game is so important or you know maybe it's their rival and they're like it's like an important game to them or maybe the the coach of the AAU team that beats them all the time is like the head coach for this school that they're about to play those things matter to the athlete Mm -hmm. and if the parent doesn't like recognize that it kind of you know there's this disconnect between like why would i tell you about issues involving this sport if you don't even care about my sport and my Mm -hmm. buddies something that you just said really just hit me because what i was thinking too is that is like in that developmental stage especially for a high school kid or young adult you're separating kind of what is important that you talk to your peer group about and what do you still share with your family Um, and so it's something that's great that you can share with family and you feel good about sharing with family. And if you don't have that, like it would disconnect, there's such a big disconnect because for teenage kids, it is their world, right? Mm -hmm. Especially for a really focused athlete, like there's a lot about identity and things like that, that are circle around that for them too. Yes. Witness me. Yes. Mm -hmm. See my soul and who I am as a human being. And if a parent isn't seeing a huge part of that kid. Yeah. I love that you said that. That's really important. Yeah. And it's all about the balance, right? It's, it's about the balance between, Hey guys, like this is a part of my life and who I am and who and what my identity is. Can you recognize that part too? Just like you recognize the other parts, you know, uh, having the, (laughs) My mom always used to call my girlfriends back in high school, my friends, you know, mm-hmm. and she'd say it with a, a little spin on it. So I knew that she knew that this person, may, you know, was a little more special to me, even though she wasn't going to call them like a girlfriend. But she's like, oh, how's your, <laughs> your, your friend? And I'm like, all right. So there's that recognition and it makes you, it just makes you feel like you're comfortable 
you're seen, you can be heard. And then if you know you can be heard, then you're, you're more likely to talk about it and communicate. Can we talk a little bit about this is making me think about like the other end of the spectrum when parents are really intense and putting like tons of (laughs) pressure on their student athlete child. Like, can you talk about what you see with that or what's helpful? Youth, Youth sports in America is a billion dollar industry. Wow. Because of how it's not because of how many athletes want to play sports, but it's because of how many parents want to just have their kids play every single sport under the sun and, and push them here and push them there. And people are, are basically just capitalizing on it. Parents, just like everything, just like everything else, they want the best for their kids. And there's a little bit of nostalgia that goes into it, especially if they were athletes themselves, but they just want to, you know, have the best for their kid. And sometimes they feel the best for their kid is to be the best at this sport that they were the best at, or, Maybe they weren't as good and they want to live vicariously through their kid. That That's a part of the mental health spectrum that kind of goes into one of the other things that we're going to talk about later on. But um, it's very funny to see it. And when I see a kid that's kind of not into what they're doing and their parent is super into it, I always wonder why. And I try to get like more of insight why, because there's so many different re- like factors and reasons why that could be. But, um, yeah, it's definitely a thing that I see often, and especially in those individualized sports. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> but dealing with all the, all the different kinds of sports, you see a very intense parent behind those individualized sports, whether it's like golf, tennis, swimming, right? Those are the, the parents that are really, like, behind their kid, like, you need to do this, you need to do that. When Cole, my oldest, started swimming and then my middle one started uh-huh. swimming, I realized I was getting way too caught up in it. They were like six. <laughs> and I <didn't> know <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this is a sign that I need to get myself back in the pool, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's why I started swimming again is because I cared and it wasn't healthy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then I was, wor- I was able to worry about myself and not mm. my kids. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Have I told you about my swim team career? No. Did you? Were you on swim team, Caroline? Yeah, guys. If you went to two meets, you got a trophy. So I. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so I was like seven years old, eight years old, and swam in two meets, and then turned to my parents and I was like, "I hate this. I'm really anxious. It makes my stomach hurt." And it was like the only thing they ever let me quit because Aww. I think they were like swim meets are a lot. <laughs> they're, they're well, yeah, that's a whole different. A we could do a podcast on that cult. It's interesting you said that about the parents who kind of play vicariously through their kids. Cause I think, mm-hmm. I mean, we definitely observe that. And I think also, you know, as a parent and Mike, you're a parent, your daughter's little still. So she's not quite, a, mm-hmm. although she's quite an athlete already based on what I've seen. Um, First dance recitals uh, in a couple of weeks. Oh, that's awesome. Got the Those costume, are so yeah. Fun. Got the costume and everything. <laughs> Wait till they put makeup on your kid on stage. You're like, Ooh, John Benet Ramsey. Okay. So, um, <laughs> but I think, you know, it's kind of interesting, as you're saying this, to think about where it stops and starts for parents. And then also, I've noticed for some kids who are really competitive through high school, choose not to compete in college, the parent grieves yeah. the experience a lot of times, <laughs> which is interesting. Not it's, just the it's, kid. Always, it's always interesting. And I don't have a kind of, kind of generic or, you know, vanilla, hey, this is how you got to do it. Because everyone is different. 
every kid is different. Every parent is different. Every parent, kid, parent, athlete, student athlete relationship is different. But I would say when it gets to the point where your student athlete can't understand your your passion and your drive and your energy, when they can't relate it to them and their well-being and their passions, when when they can't relate it to their own, that's maybe when it's gone a little bit too far. You know, when that soccer kid is like, my mom is so into me going to these practices and going to these games, but I don't even want to do it. They're out of line, you know, but if it's that soccer kid, that's maybe just being a little lazy and mom's like, Hey, you got to go get your shots in. And that soccer kid knows that he said that he wanted to commit to be a better soccer player. Then that's that mom, like, you know, kicking her athlete in the butt, like, like she's supposed to. So I would say that the one way to figure that out and to make sure you guys are aligned is communication, right? So just talking it out and and making sure that you check in here and there, like, hey, I don't like this. So, hey, I do like this. So this is tough for me. And that's different than this is not something I like or something I'm not passionate about. Right. So it's uh, it's it's always tricky. I had a friend back in college and she played basketball. She was considered the LeBron James of women's basketball. Like back then, she was like elite, right? Mm-hmm. And she was just pushed, 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 pushed to always be the best, to always go to every single clinic, to to show off, to do this. Back then, the dominant program, you know, was UConn. You know, they just recently fell off just a little bit. Just a little. So you know, everyone knew she was going to UConn. UConn offered her. She went to UConn, and she was there for about two weeks, almost before she left. And she came back to Delaware. I went to the University of Delaware. Shout out, Blue Hens. So she came back to uh, Delaware, went to the University of Delaware. And her freshman year, she didn't even play basketball. Wow. She's just done with that. You're talking about the best player in her class. She didn't even play her first year. She had to be like, had to just get away from the sport. And, you know, that's one of those things where you, you see a lot of athletes go through that. Like you said, sir, they're, they're like so done with it by the time, you know, like college comes around that they're like, oh, I want to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. And you never know, like, would they have wanted to if they weren't pushed this hard or as far? Like, would they have wanted to if it wasn't exactly what their parents want? You see that with teenagers, right? It's like, hey, I want this. Parents said, hey, I want it too. It's like, ah, I don't want this anymore. <laughs> no, absolutely. So, uh, so you always gotta you always gotta keep that line of communication, and that kind of leads me into number two for how to keep your student athlete mentally healthy, and that's find help your student athlete find an identity that's larger than sports, and that's so important. Um, it's so important. You can see just with like student athletes, you can see the devastation that they went through through this this pandemic that we're slowly, you know, crawling out of right now. When you have your sport taken away from you, whether it's injury, whether it's pandemic, well, whatever it is, it's like, well, I'm a football player. What am I now? I think we use the, the word identity because we all understand what it is, but I wonder if some listeners may, might be curious. But it's essentially when you say, hey, you know, when I say to myself, who am I? I'm a mom, I'm a 
psychologist, I'm an athlete, I'm a wife, right? It's who we identify ourselves as and who we see ourselves as and our what are mm-hmm. rules in life. So for mm-hmm. high schoolers, really sports can be a huge piece of that because they don't have other jobs. They're not in as many other relationships. It is yeah. the work that kids do for those elite athletes. And so it's their number one thing if they're spending that much time doing it. Can I also yeah. add something to that? Just yeah. in a, and not to be critical, but it's interesting now for whatever reason, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm older than everybody. And so when I was a high school athlete, you played three sports and you could still be in the play and you could still be in art class and you could still be like a class officer and do all these things. It seems to me, and, and this, I have just one experience with this, having one high school kid, but um, at least by observation with some of the, the young athletes I work with, more and more you, because of time and the devotion to a sport and a year round sport and those things, you have less opportunity to choose other things or alternative things that may bring a mix to your identity. Do you find that Mm -hmm. Mike, or are you guys seeing that? I I find that a lot, Sarah, and it's it's a good point you brought up. And that takes us back to that conversation of what youth sports has turned into nowadays. Okay. Imagine, and we'll take soccer for an example. That's a good example to use. A lot of the back, back, you could call it 50 years ago, right? You would get recruited to play in college by what high school team you played for. 100%. Now, some recruits are not even looking at your high school soccer film. They look at club. Now, to get on the best club team, guess what you have to pay? A lot of money. Mm -hmm. So it's a money-driven thing now where these coaches, these recruiters have gotten with these club organizations and money is involved. So you have your kids that don't have a lot of money or your kids that are underprivileged not being able to go to these camps and play on these teams. And it's like they're not being seen, right? Mm-hmm. You also have the the whole thing of, well, if I have to go to this, if I have to play club, that means I'm not only playing in the fall, I'm playing in the spring too, right? Yes. And it's like, oh, if these guys are playing in the fall and the spring and they're dedicating their time to one sport, I can't waste my fall playing this or I can't waste my spring playing this if I want to compete with them, I have to be in soccer just like they are. So it's this like kind of like hamster wheel thing that's like taken off and now people get on it and they can't get off it where they are only playing one sport. And that's one thing that I constantly talk to my parents about. Diversify your athlete. The best athletes in the world, where they talk about Barry Bonds, Michael Jordan, even right now, you can look at athletes like Kyler Murray and uh, Russell Wilson. They all are multiple sport athletes, right? And from the mentality part, even to the, the physiology part, you don't want to be doing the same motions all the time, right? You want to be able to diversify what motions you're doing, whether you're in a sport that's on grass and then on the court, on the court and then grass, maybe in the pool and then on the grass. Like you want to switch it up. You want to switch it up for your identity. When you're all in on one sport, you lose that one sport, you lose your whole identity. So with young athletes, Amanda, you were saying this, you were saying there's not a lot that they do. It's not like they have a job, right? They have their families, they have school, they have their sport. 
but their identity can lie in something that they're already doing. They just don't see it as that, right? For instance, Sarah mentions her daughter, um, and I've been training. I've been, you know, doing work with her for a while now, mm-hmm. and she is, you know, we're talking about things like abduction versus adduction, and and she's able to coach her mom on, you know, some workouts and. Mm-hmm. If she realizes, like, oh, this is an identity that I have, like, I like training. I like lifting. Like, even if she loses, like, the sport, maybe she said she's not playing that sport anymore. She's going to continue to do the training just because she loves it. And she's learned that, like, this is a part of what makes me, you know, happy, what makes me strong, you know. So that's like a, a just a shift that you can easily do with your your student athlete, like, oh, you like singing. You like making those TikTok videos when you sing. You are a singer. You know that, right? You might not be paid for it yet, but you are more than just like this one part of your life. That again, Mike, you are like totally resonating with me because as a swim team kid growing up, I loved being a swim coach. I was like the best cheerer, the loudest cheerer. I loved teaching little kids how to swim. And I think my whole, you know, younger age, I thought that that's because I loved swimming. And then all of a sudden, as soon as I quit swimming, I realized, whoa, I love kids. That's yeah. Me, and here I am, a mm-hmm. child psychologist. Mm-hmm. There you go. And so it's even finding the things that you love within the sport that are different mm-hmm. than the sport itself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we all love our job is because it's a team. Right. Oh, and maybe you love the team. Right? Like you love team the team. Aspect, yes. like, you know, we, I mean, you swim, but I was always team sports. I was teams. I was both. And that's why I like workout classes. Like I love yeah. the competitiveness of like being in a room with other people working hard. This is really important because this is what we can do as therapists. And also, I think this is really important for parents to hear is finding out if you have a a strong athlete, what are the other pieces of it and really labeling that for for your kids. That's perfect. What you just said, giving it labels. Mm -hmm. You want to give it labels because until you label it and say, this is this, it kind of goes under the radar. And just like your story, uh, to tell you like a, a story about myself, a personal story, I transferred high schools after my sophomore year. I ended up going to a boarding school, a private boarding school in New Jersey called the Lawrenceville School. And when I got there, I was supposed to be this like big time basketball football player right there, preseason fall, tear my ACL mm. before the season even starts. So I'm at a new school. <laughs> I'm supposed to be the football basketball guy tear my ACL and had a complicated surgery. I actually had to go back in for another surgery to fix the first. And by the time I started school, I started school two weeks late. I'm walking around campus with a walker just because of the surgery I had. I couldn't go on crutches because I had a pick line to, to, you know, distribute my antibiotics on my own as I went back to school. But what I had to do is quickly find out what my identity was without my sport in a new environment where, you know, I didn't know anybody. I had to basically tell people what my identity was through not just what, Hey, I'm this, but like through my actions and what I was going to do. So like you did, Amanda, I started like going like naturally I'd go to the practices and I'd cheer and I'd listen and I'd learn and I'd coach up my, my teammates. This is what you're not seeing, but I'm seeing it from the sideline all right take this with you oh thanks viking 
I learned how to, you know, in my rehab process, I learned, hey, I, I don't just like this process because it's getting me closer to the field. I like this process because it's interesting to me. And my therapist, who was our head trainer, his name is Jason Larson. He was also, you know, we called our, you know, they called them resident assistants. What do they call them? RAs in college. Yeah. We basically had professors or teachers who lived in the dorms with us there at boarding school. And he was the one who lived with us uh, my senior year. He was a University of Delaware grad. So you have this like physical therapist, University of Delaware grad who made me realize I don't just love sports in general. Like I love rehab process. I love training. I loved it. And I ended up going to the University of Delaware to study kinesiology. And that's what I do today. So it's uh, larger than sports is, is so important because not only because if it gets taken away from you, but sometimes you need a break, even from the things that you love. We all got families. We all got kids, right? We know how true that is. Sometimes we just need a break from something that we love. And that is good for our mental health. Just to say, you know what? I'm going to put this down for right now. I'm going to focus my energies on something else. Will you hit us with number three, Mike? Yes. Competitive edge. Find a way to get your competitive edge tested in safe places that you feel comfortable. I feel like that is, that is so important. Um, you'll hear a lot of people. They'll talk smack about millennials and even this, you know, this group of kids that are coming after us, this, this Gen Z, but they'll, they, they'll call them soft, right? And, and I don't believe in calling any like group of people soft, but you do have a group of people who are more in tune with, who are, or, who are really talking about feelings, who are really talking about how they feel and how, how you know, their, their emotions, they're, they're bringing that to the forefront and they're talking all these things. You do have this sense of, you know, everybody's a winner kind of thing that, that comes up. And that is true, but you won't find that necessarily in sports and in competitive sports. So you have this socialistic idea of winning kind of combating or batting heads with this, you know, sports sense of winning. Like there's only one winner at the end of a sports game. Or guess what? There's only 12 spots on that roster. Mm -hmm. So competitive edge, what is that? And how can we work on that? For instance, one of the first things I tell my athletes is you have to train with a group of people that maybe you're not doing the same exact workout, but you're doing a workout that in the same area and there's some kind of competitive edge. Or maybe you're with a coach or a trainer and he's pushing you to what you think are your limits and he's testing your competitive edge. Are you going to fold and say, you know what, this is too hard. I'm done. Or are you going to say, no, I'm going to fight back. I, I think I could do it. I'm going to push through and maybe I do fail or maybe I don't fail. And that builds up your competitive nature. When you have that, it kind of, you know, gives you a little bit of a uh, tough skin. It gives you some fortitude. It lets you know that, yeah, things are hard, but you know, yeah, things are tough, but I'm a little bit tougher. And I've been through hard things before, so I can get through this hard thing now. So, Mike, I love that you said that because a lot of what we talk about as clinicians is allowing your child to experience discomfort and survive it mm -hmm. and to walk through that with your support, but not you fixing it, right? And so yeah. that's similar to what you're talking about. 
And it's interesting, like I played college basketball and high school basketball, obviously. And I always, I didn't play with girls on my team until I was in high school. And even then I always spent summers in summer leagues playing against guys. Now I have to say that walking out on the court and having some dude yell shirts and skins and then look at me was always like, always, always. But once we got past that, it was interesting always, you know, to just play at that time, it was a different game. I think now it's less of a different game, but back then it was a different game. And so just kind of find, I, but I didn't ha- I never had a group of girlfriends that would go play pickup basketball. I was always having to yeah. play with guys when I was younger. And I think now it's different. Like you see, like people just getting together on the field, soccer players, like hanging out, playing, or I don't know how you, I guess swimming is a little different, but. I think you have to find people that you feel safe beating and that you feel safe um, losing to, like, yeah, losing mm-hmm. to, that's right. Yes. Or, or for instance, like a coach that you feel safe to push you to your limit, mm-hmm. a coach that you feel safe failing in front of, right? Some, some people look at someone and they're like, I can't, I can't lose to this person. Uh, like I can't lose in front of this person. So I don't want to let this person down. I don't want to let this person down in almost like an unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. that they never push themselves to the point where they can get to that point. You know what I mean? So there's mm-hmm. no competitive edge there. So you want to be comfortable, like you said, Amanda, losing and winning with the group you're with. That's going to promote the growth. And that's showing vulnerability. Yes. And in that, and I think when you're talking team dynamics in that way, you need a, you need a pretty good coach to kind of promote that kind of culture among yeah. the people in that group, because it has to be a safe overall culture. It can't, if there's one person who's kind of holding that, um, holding that back, it can be hard for the whole group to feel safe competing with each other. You're right. You're exactly right. And, and I, and I truly believe in competition, friendly competition. I truly believe in you know, lining two friends up who you're like, are you got you like, all right, pair up with uh, someone who's like similar to you in speed mm-hmm. and racing. Even if you race and you lose, right. That's not a loss in terms of what we're talking about. Right. When you're able to, to go through that win loss process outside of your sport, it still builds up those same muscles that you need for it when you take it to your sport, right? So you've lost before and you've been all right. So you can lose in your sport and be all right. You've won. You've handled that win outside of your sport. You can handle that win in your sport. So I feel like that competitive edge, once you have it, it carries, it carries into other places of your life. So you don't necessarily have to look for it within your sport. But you have to look for it and get it somehow. Mm-hmm. What I'm realizing right now, like all the workouts that I do, I like enjoy because they're competitive. Like the Peloton, yeah. like not only yeah. do you have the leaderboard, but they also show you like, you know, your 30 minute best class. And so you can be like, okay, am I going to work really hard today and try to beat my best and like be competitive with myself? Or am I like, okay, today's a day that I'm going to take it easy and I have to let go of the fact that like my Mm -hmm. best 30 minute class is going to be like, (laughs) I'm not going to get there in terms of my output. Well, even, I mean, I don't know. I always used to laugh because uh, like 
I would find like I hit my 30s or something and I would go to a yoga class and all of a sudden I'd be trying to do something. I'd look around at someone who looked completely out of shape. And if they were being able to stretch in a certain way, I could feel my inner like competitiveness come in <laughs> and I'd want to like out maneuver my body in a way that it totally <laughs> wouldn't do it, but only because the person next to me could do it. And I was like, why am I competing with yoga class? Like, what am I doing? But it was my, because I'm just an, I think, cause I've always been competitive. And so I would like, <laughs> it's terrible. Totally my swim coach just told me the other day, I said I cried about something and he was like, oh my gosh, you never seem like a softie. Like you seem like you're all business. And I almost died because that's like who I am. I'm such a softie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think when I show up to the pool, I'm like, oh, I get down to business. It's my one hour Mm -hmm. where I get down and I fight and it's fun. It is Mm -hmm. fun. Mm -hmm. Mike, you're, I love it. It's fun. And you have to find joy in it because there is joy in it, even if you fail. Even if you fail, like, I know this sounds super silly, but I was talking to one of my little cousins and he is playing Madden on, on his, you know, Xbox. And I'm like, why do you keep playing the computer on like the lowest difficulty level? Like, why don't you go online and play someone online? And he was like, no, but they're good online. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> compete against someone else so you can so you can win or so you can lose and 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 figure out why you lost and or figure out why you won. You know, either way it's gonna be great, right? Mm-hmm. And what that's gonna build is only strength from there. You're not gonna lift weights and get weaker. You're gonna lift weights and maybe you fail on that last rep and then the next time maybe you fail again, but the next time after that you're gonna get it. So I always talk competitive edge with my athletes. It does such like a wonder for them, like mentally when they realize that their losses are not true losses because they could learn from them and build from them. I think what you're saying too is like so mental healthy in that mm-hmm. you have to be vulnerable to get stronger. Mm-hmm. You, we can yeah. grow as individuals if we don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable. And, and so many times that's like us saying, I'm sad about this. Or I'm worried about this or like, yeah, this feels really hard. Yes. 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 And you can't improve your relationships. You can't become a stronger person. You can't get what you want. If you don't allow yourself to feel that moment of, Oh, this is my ninth rep and I'm not going to hit my tent or I might lose this, or I might just have to say out loud and realize that's sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also just the whole idea of like you it being the best. I think there's, there are messages that kind of can come through from parents, especially like you have to be the best. And then the kid adopts that and they have to be the best. And that doesn't give them any room to fail or make mistakes or, or even strive for anything. And maybe this was not the best advice or thing that we said to our daughter pretty early on, but we said like, there will always be someone better. I mean, it's just kind of how it works in athletics. <laughs> I, I know, right? Yeah. So, so like, do your best and get out there and the people that are better than you compete with them, be with them, like work out with them, try to strive to be as good, if not better than them, but they're, they're out there. So don't be afraid if you bump into them kind of thing. And I yeah. think that's an important part of sports and athletics. So I don't think that's a, a bad thing that you, that you said to your daughter. <laughs> I, I like that. What I like to do is I like to coach in terms of 
growth mindset. And that's one of, that's like a growth mindset coaching tool, right? Like even like being the best, like what is the best and who is the best? And when is the best not being passed by the, the next best and the next best after that, right? Being the best is like trying to strive for like a fixed thing. And being better is more of like a ongoing growth mindset thing, right? Being better, being better, being better than you were the day before, being better than that, being better than, you know, and that, that, that promotes you working for something, right? And working for something that's very achievable. So yeah, I love it. So Mike, how can people find you for the adults in the room that are listening and for the kids, for the parents that are listening, right? How can people find you and what kind of services are you offering to folks? Oh, well, they can find me on Facebook, uh, Michael Atten Rache. I'm sure we'll put that somewhere for my last name is, is long. It's hard to spell. Uh, and they can find me also on Instagram at coach underscore Mike underscore Atten Rache. A lot of people call me Coach Mike, so that's my Instagram handle. And I offer many different services. I do performance training. I do virtual performance training. I am located in Maryland. I, I was there in Charlottesville for a long time. We love Charlottesville. Um, we miss you. <laughs> and you never know. We might be right back. But uh, I, I offer virtual training. I still come down to Charlottesville every once in a while. Like, I'm going to be there next weekend. So maybe I'll see you guys. Yeah. But... I offer virtual training. I offer virtual one-on-one training, virtual group training. I do virtual hit classes. Anything that you can do class-wise like in the gym, we offer, my company offers virtual yoga. Uh, we have all of those services. And I also do life coaching. I have a bunch, <laughs> I have a bunch of student-athletes that I work with that I just literally just talk to, check in with. One of the things that I was super into as a student at the University of Delaware was a program called Upward Bound. And it was really just helping the high school kids with figuring out what they want to do after college. SAT prep, uh, filling out the FAFSA form, getting your applications in, getting your recommendation letters, things of that nature. Now, even after I stopped doing that, I, I started a program with one of my old professors at the University of Delaware, and now I'm on the board for a program called Educational Standards, where we do just that. And we, we help kids with what they want to do after school. Maybe it's not traditional four-year college. Maybe it's trade school, whatever. We help kids figure that out. So I do that as well. So, yeah, Coach Mike Atunrache or Michael Atunrache on Facebook, whichever one. If you reach out, I will reach back. <laughs> I will say Mike will reach back. And can I say one thing that we talked about yesterday is that, sure. um, so I've done a lot of these groups with Mike and, um, and I was talking to Mike yesterday about how one of the most beautiful things I think about sports when we're growing up is that they are one of the most diverse places that kids are, right? Yes. And look so many different ways and come from so many different backgrounds on a high school team and still have the same goal and work together. And then I think the older we get, we get pushed more and more into places that where we're with people that look more like us, right? But your classes are so diverse Uh and it is so fun to work out with people that you might not see in other places and it's beautiful. It is, it is. And and I feel like that also brings, especially for the adults, it brings like that playful, sense back to your life of 
being an athlete, maybe that you played, you know, a sport that you played back in the day or just being with a group of different people and you're all like working at the same thing. You're all sweating. You're all cursing Coach Mike at, you know, you know, when he says burpees, you are all like in it with each other and you're celebrating doing, together. Yeah, exactly. You're at the end, we're flexing together and we're, we're celebrating, getting through something tough together and you're doing it and you can look around and you can see that you can realize that, hey, not everyone has to look alike, come from the same places, even have the same fitness goals, have the same body, body type. We don't all have to have that to be able to do something together and have a good time together. I love it. I feel it. I, it's like beautiful. Yeah. And the classes are, I mean, you're amazing because I certainly have done the classes before and you really do individualize the class even like I love, I mean, you're not shaming anybody in it, but you definitely, you connect. Like if I'm, I don't know, might be turning blue or red. I'm not sure what I'm doing, but you're like, go Sarah. Like, I guess you see me. And um, luckily it's like in between the times I'm cursing you usually that you call me out. It's great. So I I mean, it's very, it's awesome. It's really, it's fun. It is fun. And I always feel so proud after that I am still able to stand up straight actually, usually. Um, But it's all, it is awesome. Okay, Mike. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. And Mike, thanks so much for the work you're doing out there. I mean, I I personally get to benefit a great deal because my daughter adores working with you and has done, I mean, you've just done some great work with her. And also I think just are a great mentor to her. And um, I feel very fortunate in that way. And But you're doing that for so many other people. And I I just really appreciate it. I think we all do. And when we've all connected back with you with oh. some of our, you know, some of our clients and you just do such a great job out there and you're just such a positive force in the world. So thank you. Well, thank you for that. I, I really appreciate that. And and that is my goal. My goal is to, to do that well enough that I inspire them to also do that. And that's how we're going to spread positivity and, and burn calories all, <laughs> <laughs> all around. That's how we're going to spread it. So uh, I appreciate that. And, and I hope Kennedy, your daughter is not, pressing you too hard with your workouts no i I avoid her a little every now and then (laughs) i have to admit but um she's like want to work out today want to work out i mean she does really love it which is awesome (laughs) um but she's way beyond me now too so i'm like yeah take some of those weights off that bar for me thank you (laughs) sarah i'll join in with you and you'll see someone who really can't okay come on let's do it that'd be awesome (laughs) thank you so much mike this was a joy i'm even more inspired um, I'll see you tomorrow at 6 a.m. and I won't have a drink tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Bye.